Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Stewardship of You. This is a Peak Energy Nutrition podcast. I'm your host, Greg Darley. Our focus is to help busy leaders better steward their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health because these are all connected and they all influence our ability to lead. So we bring on leaders and experts to share ways that we can get healthier and that we can have better energy because you owe it to those you lead and those you love to bring your best energy. As a thank you for listening, you can use the code podcast at Peak Energy Nutrition for 10% off your entire order today. These are premium supplements to help busy leaders. That's peakenergynutrition.com. And again, the, uh, the code is podcast. Now, today's guest is Mark Devine. Mark is a retired Navy SEAL commander. He is the founder of SEAL Fit, so think CrossFit meets a Navy SEAL. He's the author, author of five books. He started many multi-million dollar businesses. He's the founder of Kokoro Yoga. Um, he leads crucible events that are inspired by the infamous Hell Week uh, for Navy SEAL training that you can do out in California. Uh, his background is incredible. We had really just an amazing conversation. I think you will be really encouraged and challenged, but it's not just on the physical health and the physical aspects of leading, but man, his depth uh, I found really inspiring. I think you're going to as well. We had such a great conversation. We're actually uh, going to split this up into two episodes. So this is going to be part one of two conversations with former Navy SEAL Commander Mark Devine. Let's get to it. All right. Well, Mark, hey, thanks, man, for joining. Welcome. I'm glad you could be a part today. Yeah, Greg, thanks for having me. Super nice to meet you. Um, so I was reading one of your books, actually, I've read all of them, but I wanted to start here. There's a quote. Um, it says, if you lack an underlying commitment to self mastery and growth, even the best theory won't lead, won't help you lead yourself or your team to success. I thought that'd be a really cool place to start. Um, for, for the 2% of listeners that don't know who you are and don't, you know, don't know your story, I would love, cause it feels like your career, your journey of all that you've done from, you know, being a SEAL to, you know, starting all the SEAL fit and all the stuff that you started, it feels like that's been your story, self-mastery, growth, trying to get better, trying to improve. So I'd love for you to kind of start, give us a flyby, man. Give us, give mm -hmm. us the over, you know, the, the, the 20 year uh, stuff that you've done. And I know that will open up lots of uh, opportunities yeah, right. for us to talk. Well, let's start with that quote. Um, my guiding philosophy, there's, there's a few elements of my guiding philosophy. Obviously we all have that, uh, whether we realize it or not is that, um, we're here to grow on this planet. We're here to evolve. And if you're not taking responsibility for that evolution, then you're going to be at the whim and vagaries of, you know, the world around you, right? That's the external focus, right? So when we look at ourselves as material, as physical beings, you know, um, making way in this world, it's, it's really, really challenging and our egos running the show and any, uh, if you have a fixed mindset, credit to Carol Dweck, then and you think that you are who you are and, you, and your, you know, your personality is what it is and you know, you're giving what you got, 
or you got what you were given, then what's happening to you is you're being fed a constant stream of negative um, information. You're getting a constant stream of negative feedback from society. Your brain, because you're stuck in your mind, is um, feeding on negative energy. And that's, you remember that from my book, Unveiled Mind, you're, you're feeding the fear wolf. Um, the brain is wired to be negative five times more than so than positive. Positive energy emanates from the heart, not from the brain, not from your thinking mind, your egoic mind. So mastery and growth bring us out of that, bring us out of our ego mind into our heart and, and begin to evolve us. And then, of course, the more you begin that you go on that practice and considering the fact that you serve um, you work with um, leaders of faith, that leads you toward spirit because ultimately courage courage is love and love is the foundation of everything. And so if you're just stuck in your in your brain and you think that you're just, if you just think with your egoic mind, then you're moving away from love. You're moving toward fear and negativity. So at the highest level, a commitment to growth and mastery means you're committed to evolving yourself. And of course, like I could write six books on what does that mean? How do you, how do you do that? Right? Well, I believe it means to evolve toward wholeness. Of course, the Christian term for wholeness would be holiness. You evolve toward wholeness. And wholeness means to me to be living the most complete version of yourself that's possible for you in this lifetime based upon who you came in, you know, and there's karmic energy there and epigenetics and all that. And, and also in alignment with, you know, what you're meant to do in this life and service. And that would be your calling. So unfortunately, particularly in our Western society, and maybe this endemic to is endemic to just being human is, you know, we identify with action. We identify with doing, we identify with accomplishments and achievements, and we identify with our body, our, the material side of things. We don't identify with the ephemeral, the non-visible, which is, you know, the broader concept of mind and spirit. And so those things lay largely hidden to most people. And, and in that case, you're, you're going to be fixed and stuck, and you're going to be going through this constant loop of seeking pleasure and, and success outside of yourself which just leads to more suffering. So I'm going to bring this back to like Navy SEAL kick-assery too, but this is like Mark Divine now in 2021. A commitment to mastery and growth. First of all, let me talk about mastery. Mastery is the process of becoming whole. There is no there there. There's no finish line. There's no like perfect version of Mark Divine. There's just Mark Divine emerging to become more and more whole. The growth part, is what I'm trying to master. How do I become more whole? What actions do I take both uh, to curate the internal domain of mind, emotions, and spirit, as well as to curate the external domain of how my body and actions impact and show up in the world? And there are some very good models for growth, you know, in uh, integral theory, uh, transpersonal uh, uh, psychology, developmental psychology, and even Eastern traditions of yoga and Tibetan Buddhism and martial arts. And so I, I've been, and even, you know, the military has models of growth. 
I've been very fortunate because of my commitment to growth at an early age, which was stimulated. And of course, first through my own drive toward becoming an athletic and, you know, uh, educating myself, which is the typical Western, you did that, right? So at Clemson, you know, you were an athlete and you were educating yourself and that stimulated the desire for more, which has led, led you to where you are today. So that's a very valid entry point. That's the West entry point for, for those who are lucky enough to get educated and to be involved in, in athletics, because the, you know, when you work with your body and your mind that way, it leads you toward, you know, these things we're talking about. It, it leads you in inward eventually, because you're also working with the breath and the breath is the master tool. So I was led into this path. And then what the key that unlocked the broader door to the world of beyond body and mind, it's into the worlds of motion, intuition, and spirit was um, meditation. And I, did, I got into meditation through a martial art. And this is before I became a Navy SEAL. I went to a small college in upstate New York called Colgate University. And then from there, I followed the herd down to Manhattan, you know, everyone going into investment banking. And I got into a big eight accounting firm, consulting firm named Arthur Anderson. And I worked with PricewaterhouseCoopers and then Anderson for a couple of years. And I was a CPA. I became a CPA and I got my MBA at Stern. So I was doing everything right, you know, all checking all the boxes. Mark, I just, I just, I mean, I've, I mean, I've read, I know that part of your story about becoming a CPA, but if, if, if no one's ever heard that story and they just look at you <laughs> and all that you've done, you just break the mold of I what a, mold, a stereotype right. of what a CPA is most of the time. Right. So just right. kudos to that. Cause I think that's awesome. <laughs> I think I've inspired a few other CPAs to become Navy SEALs, but I, there's no, no question in my mind. I was the first. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. But, you know, I didn't look at myself as a CPA. Uh, I was, you know, I didn't have any accounting classes at Colgate. The whole program was designed to bring liberal arts graduates into that world and then to teach them how to be, you know, accountants and auditors and consultants. And the theory was that over time, you would have a more well-rounded partner, one who didn't just grow up thinking with numbers, but could think strategically and right. And actually, uh, even though the, the program only lasted a few years and they brought in a few hundred people and, and m many of the big eight firms, now there's no big eight firms anymore. I think there's four or maybe six. They've all merged and everything. But um, I'm having a conversation with my Colgate fraternity brother who's now who was in me with, with me in this program, literally in 1985 to 87. He was right there. Uh, he worked for Ernst and Winnie. It's now Ernst and Young or Arthur Young, one of those two. And um, he's now CEO of EY. So it worked for that person, right? <laughs> you know, he was not an accountant, but he's CEO of EY. But of course, he got his CPA and he learned everything. At any rate, so I want to go back to so what for me, what is growth? Growth is, you know, this process of integration. And so let me work backwards. Integration to me means where your body, mind, spirit are all acting as one unit or the way we use uh, the terminology we use in my unbeatable mind program is physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, and spiritual. We use the term Kokoro, which you're familiar with for spiritual, because a lot of people in the secular world have a different understanding of what that might mean. And so I don't want to confuse anybody. So the term Kokoro comes more from the warrior spirit tradition the warrior tradition, and it means to merge your heart and your mind into your actions. 
it's also another word of saying, uh, another way of saying kind of whole mind. So ultimately, Kokoro is really an outcome, even though we think that it's trainable also. So when you develop these five aspects, we call the five mountains, physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, spiritual, and you develop them together, not as if they're separate things, but you, you train them specifically understanding that you're merging and you're, big, you're bringing this all together, then over time, you have this this reintegration of these aspects of yourself that you've separated yourself from. So when you, we were talking earlier about the health of people in the, in the service or nonprofit sector, not in the military, although I see this in the military service as well. There's surprisingly large number of people who are overweight and unhealthy. And you're like, what, how did this happen? Not in the SEAL community, but in general military. And so it's because people have disconnected themselves from their body. You know, something that's kind of drag along throughout the day and they don't recognize that the body is the it's the vessel and if you purify that vessel it's a vessel for your spirit and for your mind and your you know your entire being your your beingness as a human being needs that vessel to to get by in this world and if you ignore it or deny it or don't pay attention to it then your experience of life is going to be eclipsed you're going to not you're not going to be able to grow beyond the capacity of your body and brain to understand the world, you know, from the level of, you know, its level of health, right? So you can look at it from an objective sense that your brain is part of your body. And if you're not feeding it well, if it's not getting proper rest, it's not getting restorative, you know, hormones, and then your body's not getting that, you're, you're not getting that neuroplastic effect from new learning, you know, from experiences, you're not processing your subconscious patterning. So that means your emotional life is going to be disjointed and, and undeveloped. And you're going to have an energy body that is, you know, weak because, and you're going to fall asleep at meetings, right? Important meetings that are life and death. Or, you know, you, if you were a, a military person, a SEAL and, or whatever, and you had that kind of, you'd be off the team in a heartbeat because you'd be a risk to the team and the organization. Because you're I think not going not to be yeah. thinking clearly. Yeah, I, I love that the the idea of just the being connected. Once we talk about at the stewardship of you is again, your your physical, your mental, your emotional health. We we can't disconnect those things. Like we, no. I think that's an, such an American thing is hey, we can just compartmentalize. Well, that's over there, and then that's over there. It's like that's you know the way that, we think. It's it's the way our academic institutions have really kind of been structured to parse through information because you know they can only study. A little piece at a time and so they keep on dissecting things into smaller and smaller bits of information if you try to go get a phd and you said i want to study what it means to be human they would laugh <laughs> yeah. that's the realm of that's, that's for the faith traditions you know but if you said i want to study what it means to be an rna mrna cell you know and how it's going to interact with covid19 uh, boy you got yourself a phd so that's, and, and unfortunately, looking at this as looking at your body as separate from your mind, separate from your emotions, separate from your spirit leads to separation because, you know, you can't then experience the world whole from wholeness. And if you're separated from your own self in that regard, then you're going to be separated from other individuals and from, from the environment or the, you know, the world at large. And as you know, the separation leads to suffering separation leads to conflict separation is the realm of the ego and even uh cultural ego which we call you know ethnocentrism versus egocentrism and so cultures that are in conflict which is many if not most 
are expressing this kind of cultural ego that, you know, of lack of separation from others. Because you know, we're not looking for the sameness, we're looking for the differences. And we haven't had an integration experience as a culture. But, you know, so what happens at a cultural level is just a, a mass expression of what's happening at an individual level. Mm. So growth means to end separation first by taking responsibility for your own evolution. And we use the term mastery because that comes from kind of the martial and the warrior traditions. And we love, you know, I'm inspired by this idea that we can kind of master ourselves and um, that there's a destination, you know, not a destination, but there's a journey, a path to follow where every day, day by day in every way I can show up and I can do certain things that are going to evolve me to make me better make me a better person, to make me more physically healthy and integrated, to make me more mentally clear and um, able to use all aspects of my mind and intelligence to make me emotionally powerful and to clear up shadow and trauma and to be able to really tap into the intuitive intelligence that is what we need so much in our world, that spontaneous knowingness, you know, navigating danger, the types of things that, you know, I, I saw such incredible intuitive intelligence in the seals, you know, just spring forth and without any business knowing where it came from that saved lives and, you know, one missions. And then ultimately, again, more work you do here, the more you recognize that beyond any dogma or having, without having to read a single book on the subject, you're drawn inward toward this ephemeral aspect of your being, which feels eternal which feels unchangeable, which feels true. And that's the ultimate aim is to then growth leads you to live from that perspective. Again, it has nothing to do with dogma or religion. Living from that perspective could be the same as kind of the Western concept of awakening. You awaken to this recognition that there's more going on than just this doing this that I've been, you know, this, busy mark you know getting out there and getting busy with getting an mba and cpa and becoming a you know whatever that path would have led me you know partner at a global you know accounting firm <laughs> miserable i think is the i think yeah. miserable is the is the word you're looking for, for miserable you. lost human being <laughs> so with the uh you're talking about i mean i love this this I, this journey of, of self-mastery this journey of growth i mean that's and, and the language that i use a lot again that's stewardship it's recognizing that I have a role to play. Um, it's more important or more interconnected than, than, you know, than we probably recognize, at, you know, in our younger years and as we grow and, and develop that. And, mm -hmm. and then you learn again, that there is no, there's no finish line. Simon Sinek, his book, the infinite game kind of talks about this idea that it's one of those, there is no, there is no finish line. You know, the, the self-mastery health, fitness, you know, relationships, most of them, the ones that are important, it's an infinite game. They're, mm -hmm. they're never going to end. Right, it's the it's it's an ongoing process, um, and so I love how you're, you know, pulling that together, really painting that picture. Um, so, so, so you decide to you decide to leave the accounting world uh, and and become a seal, and you know, I'll, I think I got my numbers right. You started when you when you when you go through that and you sign up. There's 185 ish, 86 or something people that sign up. 19 graduate the class and you're the honor man. So you're actually the top class. And I was thinking about, I'm curious, like what, 
like why why is graduation so low? Or I guess maybe a po- more positive spin. Like, what are the nineteen? What were you and the other eighteen doing so differently to graduate? Like, what's what's the difference there? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a it's a number of things. First of all, it wasn't just one hundred eighty that signed up. That that's for the number who made it through all the other wickets to get to the starting point of Navy SEAL training. But you know, if you were to back up and say everyone who raised their hand and went to a recruiter said, I want to be a Navy SEAL, it's, it's a few thousand okay. a year. And then out of that, roughly seven or 800 get to go to the four or five classes that class up every year. In my class, we had 185. Everyone eminently qualified because they'd already been through a, a year of hoops and boot camp and you know pre-training and all the other selection stuff. So, you know, SEAL training is arduous. You know, it's it, it's n- probably not as hard as it would be if, um, you know, we were to endure nine months of war, combat every day, but the training is meant to simulate the conditions of being in, you know, combat under constant stress, not knowing what's coming next being tested and challenged, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And um, so probably the, the most profound reason that people don't make it, and me, most people quit in the first phase of training. There's three phases. The first phase is really conditioning and testing yourself, testing you whether you've got what it takes to be a teammate and a leader. And to go the distance, right? Are you willing and to be to do what's necessary to be on this team? And are you the right character to be on this team? And so first phase also includes the week called Hell Week, which a lot of people know about. That's very famous. So nonstop training for six days, no sleep. So by the end of Hell Week, you know, our class was down to like 45 already. And so then for the rest of training, you know, it's just is an attrition one at a time. But up until then, you know, we'd lose entire boat crews. You know, we'd, we'd see the helmets would they'd stack up pretty quickly. And that's kind of, a, you know, one of the ways that we tracked who was in and who was out was you ring a, you know, the quitters would have to ring a bell and then set their helmet down. And then, you know, the helmets would be in this long line. They'd stay there for the, all the first phase. And you'd see them just lining up 100 and, you know, whatever it is, 60 some odd helmets. So, the first phase, everyone shows up as an individual from all walks of life. There's no, there's no teams that show up. Hey, yeah, we're going to go try, you know, to do this Navy SEAL training thing. You might occasionally see a couple of friends who make it into the same class, but it's very rare because there's so many ways that, you know, even if you went in at the same time to a recruiter that you just won't show up in the same class. So everyone's there as an individual. But the training is designed so you cannot conceivably accomplish the totality of what they're asking you to do as an individual. So very early, this is one of the profound secrets of SEAL training. They're testing your ability to be a, not just a good, but a great teammate. In order to be a great teammate, you got to you know, we used to say it like this, you got to take your eyes off yourself and put them on your team and your teammates. Meaning you got to get out of your own little suffering 
and go help someone else out or, or support your teammate. You've got to get out of your own need to be right and go support your team and your teammate. You've got to get out of your own judgment and go, you know, experience the win of your teammates and not revel in the failure of those who aren't making it, right? Because the instructors kind of, they're watching everything and they're looking for their next batch of teammates. They call it the SEAL teams, not the SEAL individuals for a reason. But as you know, Greg, being an excellent teammate really gets to the crux of everything we're talking about. It takes growth. It takes a, a certain type of character to, to move beyond ego and I, even I statements and, and thinking about yourself all the time to where you really genuinely care about those around you who are not in your immediate family. And the level of care and concern that ultimately is developed in the SEAL teams is one that you're willing to lay down your life for your teammates. It's not a hypothetical maybe, it's a, it's a knowingness, like you're, you're willing to do it. And that level of connection is profound. So that's what people are looking for. And that's where a lot of people have trouble going. Some of the very first people to quit are the all-star footballs of the, you know, the Clemson, you know, university football team, like the, the quarterback or the captain where things came easy and they're just these super studs and they're like, I'm going to go now be a Navy SEAL. And they, and they think it's that, you know, the carpet's going to be laid out for them and it's going to be easy. And they recognize that, no, no, it's not, this isn't about you. This is about us. So those people end up going really quickly. And then the second piece is, you know, they say it's all mental. And I would say that's not true. It's really emotional, right? Because people quit as a result of their emotions. Now we have the saying, you know, mind where the mind leads, the body follows and the body's emanate, the emotions emanate from the body. So if you have a weak mental moment, you could be like, okay, yeah, this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. Why am I here now? You know, what was the reason I wanted to be a Navy SEAL? It looked really fun in the videos and the movies, right? But now, you know, I haven't slept for four days and I'm miserable. I can't, you know, I can't even, I can't stand this. I can't even put one foot in front of the other right now. And so your mind is telling you that, but then you could change your mind in that moment. And you could say, you know what? That's just my my ego brain talking, you know, I understand why I signed up for this. And I understand that if I just put one, the next foot down and I start talking to myself positively and I, and I remember why I wanted to be a Navy SEAL to serve my country and be part of this elite team and feel into that and develop some emotional power on that, then I can keep going. I can put one step and then another step and then another step. Let me just do that for the next 20 minutes. And pretty soon you're out of, you're out of that dark spot. But if you can't do that, then the quit is an emotional moment. It's an emotional moment of breakdown, right? It's where you, you've been overwhelmed by your negative self-talk to the point where you have no out. Your body, your emotions, and your mind are all lined up and saying, quit. You've cut yourself off from any avenue of escape to the light, you know, to, to the success. So that's... The second reason why most people quit or are forced out. So when we had 19 graduates, those 19, by the way, seven of those, including me, were from my boat crew. Right? Isn't that pretty cool? So 
a full one third of the graduating class of 19 of, of the 185 were my boat crew. And it's because we learned to develop a deep connection of and mutual support very early on. We cared about each other. We committed to get each other through training and we brought, you know, I was the leader and I, I brought practices in that I had learned through my four years of Zen training in the martial arts, which helped us maintain mental control and emotional, you know, positive energy so that we, uh, you know, we weren't going to let anyone, any of the instructors who are masterful uh, at what they do get under our skin. And we were going to work together as a team to make sure that everyone won and not just, you know, one of us won. And and so we, we literally practiced these things every day as part of what we were doing. So when we, when we went for what we call an evolution in the buds, it wasn't just, let's just get through this like everyone else. You know, we would huddle up and say, okay, guys, we got this. We're going to crush it. You know, here's a strategy, but we'll figure it out one step at a time. Just breathe into it and, uh, you know, let's, let's support each other. We got this. And so what we were practicing there was um, controlling our arousal straight, uh, arousal um, states with deep breathing, deep nostril breathing, which is one of the skills I brought into the team. We're going to breathe deeply, slow down your breathing, calm down, close your mouth, breathe through your nose. And that kept on, kept us calm and focused. And this is back in 1990, very little was talked about in the Western world. anyways about breath control. And then the positive self-talk, you know, we were just, I would just constantly feed the team and myself positive self-talk. And then we would, the team would mirror that. And so we always were talking to ourselves positively. We got this piece of cake. You know, come on, we got this. Easy day. Hoo-yah. And then we talked about our vision, right? Our vision for about, you know, graduation, being Navy SEALs, that, you know, our vision for each evolution, even Hell Week, you know, we're going to take it one day at a time. Then when it got really hard, we're just going to get through this evolution. And so we, 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 we knew what we were, we had an imagery in our minds. We knew what it looked like to win so that when we hit those dark night of the soul moments, we could tap into that, that memory of the future that we were shooting for. And then we learned to take things one day at a time because the totality of SEAL training is just overwhelming, right? Nine months of just, just this incredible grinding, grueling, punishing training. And you're cold, wet, sandy the whole time. Sometimes you don't get any sleep. Sometimes you get a couple hours. Sometimes you get longer, but you're just getting ground down. Yeah, open sores on your body, you know, oftentimes major, you know, small injuries will pop up and you got to literally learn how to deal with them or else they'll turn into major injuries. This is just constant navigating, you know, this very, very insane environment. So you've got to take it one day at a time. And then within that day, you've got to chunk it down to you know, navigable units, right? And then within each unit, especially the hard units, you got to chunk it down to even smaller units. We call those micro goals. So like if you go out for a punishing 14 mile run, you know, I learned very quickly, the instructors, you know, they're devious. They'll, they'll go out like a bat out of hell. You know, they'll go out at like a six minute pace. You know what I mean? And I learned quickly that it's, it's way better to keep up than it is to try to play catch up. 
which is very true in life in general, right? And so I would go out and my team would go out like a bat out of hell because we understood the game. Even though we're getting exhausted, we think we're getting winded and the, and the conventional wisdom says, hey, keep some gas in the tank because this is going to be a long haul. We said, no, we got we to gotta get out ahead of the pack because then what would happen after like a mile or two, sometimes three miles at this blistering pace, we knew it was going to end eventually. Then the instructor would throttle back to like a 10 minute pace, which felt like a vacation for us suddenly. And he would turn around and circle back to gather up the rest of the class, which is strung out over those two miles behind us. And then of course the instructors are coming up on the rear, start gathering up the real laggards, the guys at the very tail who just weren't putting out, they were holding back thinking, oh, this is a 14 mile run. And then they would, they would goon squat them. So they would take the 20, 30, 50 students that were really lagging and they would beat them up in the surf zone, you know, push-ups, jumping jacks, bear crawls, you know, flutter kicks while the rest of the class kept on running. And then guess what? This, the goon squad had to try to catch up because they weren't done, but you can see very quickly how that, if that happens more than two or three days in a row in your goon squad on whatever evolution, whether it's running or swimming, then you're, you're getting extra work because you're not putting out up front. And so you're, you're falling further and further behind from an energetic and recovery state and also your motivation. So these four skills that I was talking about became money because my micro goal there was just to stay up, stay with the, the gazelle instructor for the first three miles. And after that, the race, you know, the, the evolutions won. Right. So that was goal number one. And then I got a massive rest while we circled around and jogged back and collected the rest of the course. And then he would take off on a more moderate pace that he knew was the ultimate pace don't know exactly what it was. Let's say eight minutes per mile for the rest of the 14 mile race or run. And, you know, once we understood this game, my team and I, my boat crew and I were always in the top 10 finishers of every single evolution. And I was always number one to three in every single evolution through mental management and emotional management, maintaining control of my breathing, talking positive to myself and my teammates, remembering through the imagery of why I was there and what this victory looked like. It didn't look like quitting, that's for sure. And then chunking everything down into manageable parts. So just taking each day as an evolution, then taking each evolution and focusing on that and not worrying about what comes after that. And then within the evolution, just figuring out how am I gonna chunk this thing out for maximum uh, performance? So where are the inflection points? What's going to, where are going to be the hard parts where I really have to focus on those and gut through those? And then where do I take my recovery moments? You know, so you literally structure it with these little micro, like a micro strategic plan for each evolution. And I do this continually to my, to this day, right? You know, it's, I call it one day, one life. Every day is just an opportunity. It's a full life, right? Morning is like birth, you know, Closing my eyes at night is like death. Everything in between is of critical importance. How I structure my day, who I interact with, how I think, what I say yes or no to, how I manage my energy and my fueling and my recovery and my training. And it's all just gets interwoven into just being 
who I am because it's, it's wholeness. Like I don't look at training separate from living. I don't, or from work. You know, I, I train at work. I train in between meetings. And what is that training like? Sometimes it means I go out and do some burpees. Sometimes I go out and sit and box breathe. Sometimes I'll take a walk around my building and, and breathe and talk to myself positively. Sometimes I'll sit and visualize to remember my future. But in between there, I'm also doing things like this podcast and my own podcast and writing my books and, you know, having meetings with my company team. And, you know, it's all interwoven because when you're training and heading toward mastery, you can't separate the being from the doing. They end up being, they co-arise. Most people just focus on doing and they ignore the being. But if, when you, when you develop these practices, there's a constant state of being and becoming better, becoming more whole. And then you bring that into your actions every day and your thoughts and your, you know, how you show up. I, I liken this to the yin yang symbol, the yang, which is the black is doing action. The yang or the yin is, which is the white, which is non-action re receptivity. Yang is the realm of performance and, and getting things done. Yin is the realm of potential and becoming more whole. So when we start our training, we kind of, we have tools and practices at Unveil Mind where we can refine our performance and the way we do things so we're more focused and more productive. That's, you know, kind of like the way I just described in my SEAL training example. Then there's also practices that we uh, do that allow us to become more uh, a whole, which will expand our vision and our sense of, of self and also heal trauma to eradicate, you know, regret and shame and guilt. The things I talked about in my book, Staring Down the Wolf. And, and we go kind of back and forth, right? We do those practices so that we can then come over into the black side and perform better. But what's really cool is when you get toward mastery, you, you, the first hints of mastery is when this starts to happen in real time and you're, and mastery level is when you're riding that line and you have complete awareness of the being state while you're in the performance state. And it, it feels like flow because flow would be one expression of what that is like where things spontaneously just happen or the Japanese concept of Shibumi effortless perfection. And so I learned through starting with, Zen and then bringing that training into the SEAL training and then, you know, being so inspired with the results in my own ability to team and lead, you know, I wanted to teach other special operators and SEALs this kind of like these ancient principles for the modern warrior. And that's what led me to start SEAL fit when I got off active duty and the results were profound. You know, the SEALs that I train, 90% of them get through SEAL training compared to, you know, 15% of the general public doesn't do that training. And um, of course, that led to other populations wanting to access this training. And so I rebranded it Unbeatable Mind. And we're doing a lot of work with corporations and um, professionals, entrepreneurs, in, in, in any, anybody really who wants it, nonprofit leaders. It's a path to integration. Unbeatable Mind is developing yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, intuitionally, and spiritually, or Kokoro, so that you can become whole again and lead and live from that wholeness. And of course, that wholeness means you're also going to be an exceptional teammate because as we talked before we started this podcast, you become genuinely authentic and humble 
and aware that there's no such thing as perfection. There's just perfect effort, you know, and your flaws are just simply a signal that you're doing something wrong or, you know, you're moving in the wrong direction and your failures are signals that, um, you didn't, you had incomplete information, you, you know, either internally or externally. And so then it becomes, you get really motivated when you don't look at yourself, you don't identify with failure. You don't identify with lack of success or you don't compare yourself to other people. You just show up every day, one day, one life to try to become the best version of yourself you can today. And to, to, to show up for your family, teams, organizations in the world from that wholeness to fulfill your mission. And of course, you know, you're going to be laying bricks just like, uh, you know, that's what we do in the material world. You're going to be laying bricks to build something that has some ability to impact and to help people. Everybody does that, whether you're running a church or a freaking multi-million dollar, billion dollar global organization. But if you ever lose sight of who you are and why you're doing it, then you get off track or the organization can off track. And, and I think a lot of organizations did and have and still are off track, right? Because they're just too focused on bottom line and they're not, you know, not really approaching their work from a whole, you know, this perspective that we're talking about growth toward wholeness so that we can have a positive impact multidimensionally, not just on making money or selling a product. As always, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would share it with your friends. And if you really enjoyed it, leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening, that would be a huge help so that other leaders can find us and learn more about what we're learning about. And don't forget, you can get 10% off your entire order at peakenergynutrition.com with the code podcast, 10% off your entire order. And remember, you owe it to those that you lead and to those that you love to bring your best energy. We'll see you next time.